And you'll remember last week as we started Luke, uh, Luke was writing this account of the life and work and teaching of Jesus for a man named Theophilus and also for all those who would read it, including us even now. But he was writing it so that Theophilus, so that we would have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught about Jesus. And so as, as I read in just a moment, in today's portion of Luke 1, I want you to think about what, what kind of certainty does today's story about Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, what kind of certainty would it give Theophilus? Certainty about what? And what kind of certainty would it give you? What kind of certainty... Do Zechariah and Elizabeth need? So, that being said, would you stand with me and hear the word of the God who loves you from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I want to stop just for a moment, just so that you, you may know that how the temple is set up. There's that smaller room in the very back, the Holy of Holies, uh, with a very thick veil curtain to protect the Ark of the Covenant, which is inside. Um, and the mercy seat, right outside of that curtain, the bigger room is called the holy place, but right outside of that curtain is this golden altar of incense where a, a priest would morning and night burn incense that represented the prayers of God's people. So I want you to visualize that. And, and further back behind, um, toward the front of the holy place, would be uh, the table of showbread and the golden candle um, menorah. And uh, so Zechariah is walking right up to the veil that separates him from the Ark of the Covenant, from the Holy of Holies. And he's in charge of presenting this incense that, incense that represents the prayers of God's people. So... And while he's doing that, the whole multitude of people are outside praying prayers that were regularly prayed morning and night for the coming of the Messiah. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, 
and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And now let's go to verse 57 to the birth of John. Verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, would you come and speak to us? Uh, open the eyes of our hearts, so that we may see uh, what you're up to um, in this story and in ours. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So I wonder this morning, what prayers have you been praying that have not yet been answered? 
or perhaps have been answered, not been answered uh, yes, but have been answered no or wait, or even with a simple trust me. Uh, They could be prayers for physical healing for yourself or for a friend or a family member, uh, for rescue from a hard situation for yourself or someone else, prayers for release from shame, release from addiction, release from a memory perhaps you've carried for years. Or perhaps you've been waiting for the answer to prayers for someone you love to finally come to know Jesus. For Jesus to finally speak, let there be light into their hearts so that they would not only see him, but seek him. These aren't they all good things to pray for. Not one of the things I've listed here is a bad thing. They're all good things that could certainly glorify God. I wonder if you've wondered, why hasn't God answered these good, God-glorifying prayers? And I wonder this morning if you're weary from waiting for his answer. If you are, then you'll understand something of what Zechariah and Elizabeth were experiencing. And more than that, you'll you'll be able to enter somewhat into the story of Israel, God's people. You see, it it may be, some think, that Luke is presenting Zechariah and Elizabeth's story as a microcosm of Israel's story. Israel is, again, experiencing a kind of exile. They're under the thumb of the Roman Empire. It's been 400 years since God has spoken through a prophet, and there's no sign of the Messiah, no sign of, the, of a son of David to come and reign on Israel's throne. And the hearts of peop- God's people at this point uh, are maybe very much in tune with Psalm 77, which says, part of which says, will the Lord reject forever and never show his favor again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has his anger withdrawn his compassion? Perhaps that's how Israel was feeling, maybe Zechariah and Elizabeth, and sometimes we feel that way too. Has God forgotten again? So I'd like us to consider their story and consider how for a moment, how Zechariah and Elizabeth are the wounded and the waiting and the weary. They are the wounded. Elizabeth is childless, we're told. And so she suffers the wound of undeserved disgrace. She said that by giving her a son, God would take away my reproach among the people. You see, in their culture at that time, barrenness was considered a punishment for sin. It was considered a sign that that one was not favored by the grace of God. And yet Luke says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God, blameless. It doesn't mean they were perfect. It just means if anybody was going to keep the law of God, this couple kept the law of God consistently, carefully, 
These are godly people trying to understand what God is up to in their suffering. She was suffering undeserved disgrace. So I, I wonder for you this morning, what do you suffer that doesn't make sense? What wounds do you carry that you don't deserve? What reproach or shame do you long for God to take away? I have, I have plenty of disgrace that I deserve. But I do, like many of you, carry some shameful wounds that came from others outside me, from people who sinned against me and left me to deal with the consequences and the shame. So I want to tell you this morning, if your story has left you wounded by undeserved grace, that Jesus welcomes you into his story. Elizabeth also knew the wound of unfulfilled desire. She longed to be a mother. And again, this is, this is a good desire, <laughs> one of the best desires. She wanted to be a godly mother who raises a godly child. See, she and Zechariah were both from the priestly line of Aaron. And so perhaps they dreamed about raising another priest. So I wonder this morning, what good desire do you have that has gone unfulfilled in your story? Desire to be a parent like these two? Maybe a desire to have a husband or a wife? Desire to have a job that provides for your family? To have healthy relationships with your family, your neighbors, your coworkers? If your story has left you wounded by unfulfilled desires, then friends, Jesus welcomes you into his story this morning. So they were wounded, but they were also waiting um, waiting as an old man's old prayers go unanswered for decades. Two kinds of prayers, prayers for a savior and then prayers for a son. Uh, Zechariah was offering up what is most likely, the, it is a morning prayer and an evening prayer of this incense that I told you about. But these uh, this incense were representative of the prayers of God's people who were gathered outside praying as he was inside offering the incense of prayers. They're, they're representative of the prayers of God's people for the salvation of Israel. This has been going on for hundreds of years, these prayers. And so while Zechariah was inside praying, the people were outside praying. This is a prayer for a Savior that is centuries old. But Zechariah personally, and Elizabeth, had also been praying for a son, not just a savior. And we might guess that it had been years since this prayer had been offered up to God. Um, Zechariah called himself an old man, and he very graciously called his wife advanced in years. Smart guy. Um, but Perhaps they continued to pray for a son into their 40s and then stopped 
at some point, realizing they'd missed their opportunity to conceive. And so now it may be perhaps 40 to 50 years since they first prayed for children and 20 to 30 years since they had stopped asking God for a son. Again, I ask you, what good thing have you prayed for over and over again, year after year, with no response? If your story has left you waiting because of unanswered prayers, then Jesus welcomes you into his story this morning. And then they're weary. The wounds and the waiting had worn them out. And some of you are worn out this morning. Some of you are tired. You're worn out from your wounds and worn down from your waiting. If the wounds and waiting in your story have left you weary, then Jesus welcomes you into his story this morning, the story that Luke is trying to tell us. God this morning is inviting each of us to live out our little stories in the context of his larger story. For me, one of the most fascinating fascinating parts of Zechariah and Elizabeth's story has always been this comment by the angel Gabriel. He said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What did he mean when he said your prayer has been heard? Now, he goes on to say, your prayer has been heard and your wife will bear you a son. And so that context suggests that Gabriel's uh, referring to Zechariah's prayer for a son. But as I said, Zechariah and the people have been praying daily prayers for a Messiah. And these prayers of longing and looking for the Messiah who would rescue Israel from all of their wounds and waiting and weariness um, are also a prayer that's being answered at the same time. And, and, and listen to Gabriel's description of John. Um, it, it hints that the time for the Messiah has finally, finally come. He says that John will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John is the promised forerunner for the Messiah. So which prayer is being answered? Is it the ancient prayer for a savior or is it the old prayer for a son? One commentator summarized well what I think is happening here. He says, is it absolutely necessary to make this choice? Is there not a very close relation between the two prayers? Is it not true that the son to whom Elizabeth would give birth was destined to be the forerunner of the Messiah through whom salvation would come for Israel. In fact, for all God's children, whether Jew or Gentile. So God's answer to both prayers reveals something that we all need to know as wounded, waiting, and weary people. Your little story of woundedness and waiting and weariness is woven into God's larger story of world-changing wonder. That's good news. As I was thinking about this, I, I thought too, too often I think 
that I can determine what God's heart is like by looking at what he's writing in my current page in my story. So I look at what's going on in this page, in this chapter of my story, and I judge God's heart by what I see there. But it's the larger story about what God has been doing from the beginning, about God coming in the flesh to say yes to all of his promises in Jesus. It's that story that tells me what the heart of God is like. It's the story of Jesus that tells me I can trust the heart of God in the details of my story. In order for us to live in our little story with patient, prayerful perseverance, we have to see that God's larger story is one of providential purpose. So I want to look at that for a few minutes and then close with a few so what applicational thoughts. One thing that stands out clearly in this story is the nature of God's timing, his providence. Now, we know, we've heard of what providence is, but I want to remind us, and I think the Heidelberg Catechism has a beautiful summary of what the Bible teaches about God's providence. Listen to this. The providence of God is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And we see that providence at work here in this story, Zechariah was chosen by lot, by a lottery. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest in those days. In fact, there were 18,000 priests in his day. And only one would be chosen by lot to serve at the altar of incense each day. So there's no guarantee that any particular priest would ever get this opportunity in his lifetime. And the lot fell on Zechariah. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's, its every decision is from the Lord. That's providence. So God in his providence cares about the details of the life of his, lives of his people. And so let that comfort you. Jesus said, if, if God notices when a sparrow falls from the sky and a hair falls from your head, which for some of us has happened more than others, if he notices those things, then you can trust him when you fall into hard times. Again, God is writing the when and the where and the how of his story and your story. And so we have reason to believe God, to trust him, to wait on him, because we know that he's working in our waiting. But his providence is also not just great timing, but has a great purpose. It's very purposeful timing. In other words, God has a plan. And because this is true, 
we should all continually be asking the Lord, what are you up to? I told the elders the other night, I'm so tempted when things aren't going the way that I want them to go, to ask, my first question is, what's going on here? Right? (laughs) What's going on here? And that's not necessarily a bad question. But there's a bigger and better one. What are you up to, Lord? That way I can see the what's going on here in the light of what he's up to. And God's timing is always purposeful. Paul said in Galatians 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. God is up to something here. Paul says in Romans 5, 6, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God is up to something, and it's big. And even Zechariah's song that we read earlier, his prophetic praise uh, that, that came out of him after John was born, reminds us that God has not been deterred from his original purpose and plan. God's people in that day knew that God had promised through his covenants that he was creating and redeeming a people for his own possession who would join him on his mission to multiply the glory of his greatness and his goodness and his grace and his gladness throughout creation forever. And they knew from the story that had been passed down to them that the sin of his people, though, would keep getting in the way. And they knew that the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel had described a new covenant that God would give to deal with this sin problem forever. And they knew that he had promised through his prophets that he would send his servant who would be pierced for their transgressions, crushed for their iniquities, whose wounds would heal their tendency to go astray because God would lay on his servant the sin of his own people. But it had been 400 years since God said anything about this. Anything about his promise to his people through his prophets. And so these people were all waiting for another prophet to come. One like Elijah. Elijah, One of the prophets of old uh, had promised was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. That's the part of the story of God that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in. They lived in that waiting and wondering. They knew what it meant to trust God's heart of purposeful timing and to wait on him even as they wait for him. Now remember, those prayers prayed at the altar of incense were specifically prayers for God to fulfill his promise to send a redeemer. And do you remember what the Holy Spirit prompted Zechariah to say after John's birth? He said that with John's birth, God had finally begun to do what he had promised, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. What I want us to notice is 
the emphasis of Gabriel's message to Zechariah was mainly on God's purposes and plans, not on Zechariah and Elizabeth's purposes and plans. Yes, he mentioned that God was going to give them a son, but then he goes on and on to talk about the significance of that son, the significance of John's place in God's plan. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth had purposed and planned to have children years ago, but their timing did not yet fit God's purposes or plans. Gabriel's message is more about God fulfilling his eternal purpose than anything else. And what that meant for Zechariah and Elizabeth and what that means for us is that we can trust God's heart while we're wounded and waiting and weary because our little story is caught up and enveloped in his larger story. Have no fear, friends. If you are God's, then his timing is for you, not against you, even in the smallest details of your life. John's name means Graced by God. Graced by God. And all of this plan to bring John into the world is part of the plan to bring Jesus in the world so that you could be graced by God. Jesus is the love of God wrapped in the flesh and blood of human flesh and blood, and given for undeserving people like you and me. So when Jesus appeared, God's grace appeared, and his face was turned toward you and me, not in judgment, because Jesus was given in your place to live the life you should have lived and to die the death that you and I deserve to die for our sins. And so, friends, though this story is not about you, it's about Jesus, it is most certainly for you. So here are four practical implications that I'd like to leave with us. Just four things that as I was reflecting on this story and all that God is up to in it, um, things that have just struck me and I think are helpful. So four Ps, perspective, prayer. What's my third P? (laughs) Oh, parenting. And then pruning. Perspective, prayer, parenting, and pruning. Perspective is how I see what I see, right? And we've already talked about seeing our little stories through the lens of his larger story, but I was also struck by how how much the supernatural plays into this story. I mean, even Zechariah, who you would expect as a priest of God, to not be surprised that an angel would show up, was certainly surprised that an angel showed up. It just, it wasn't common, it wasn't unheard of, but it wasn't common even to them. Um, and who was this angel? He's one of the only, only two angels that are named in the Bible. There's Michael the archangel and then Gabriel. And Gabriel's name means um, God is strong. God is mighty. And so imagine 
what an angel whose name means God is mighty might look like. Ripped, as we say. And so no wonder he was afraid. And this angel appears, he speaks, and he has a physical impact on Zechariah. He takes away his speech. And what I think is probably the most significant thing Gabriel says about himself is, I stand in the presence of God. We modern people forget that there's more to reality than meets our eyes. And Luke wants to give Theophilus and you and me certainty that there's always more going on than we're aware of. Everything that's happening in your story and in the story of our church is being done in the presence of our mighty God. That that just struck me this, this time through this story. My perspective has got to be that there's some el- something else going on in the unseen realm that is as real as what I see and is making a difference in the world I'm living in. That's perspective, prayer. Just some thoughts um, that I think this story helps us learn about prayer. Um, first, God answers my little prayers according to his larger plans. The answers to my prayers are aligned with God's providential purposes. Tim Keller once said, um, God will give you the answers to your prayers that you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. (laughs) So the answers to your prayers are things that you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. It's always aligned with his providential purposes. And would you want him to answer them any other way? And so I may not get answers to my prayers right away, and I may not hear his answer to them at all. But because I know the story of Jesus, I can have certainty that God hears me and is working for me in his answers, not against me. And then like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I can pray for what I want and then trust him for what he wants. I can ask boldly and then surrender completely. Because the father said no to Jesus' prayer so that he could say yes to something Jesus wanted more. And that was to do his father's will to redeem and to renew his people. So no matter what prayer the Father answers you with no, be assured that he's always saying yes to his plan to make you more like Jesus. He's always saying yes to his plan to make you someone who loves him and loves people in the place he's put you with the resources he's given you. It's always a yes. And then I was reminded of how Paul asked for that thorn in his flesh to be removed three times. And it's not just that he asked three times and then stopped. Three is kind of a number of, of, of completion, of, 
um, wholeness. It was huge. He asked and asked and asked and asked. But God's answer to Paul was not to say yes to removing the, the thorn. His answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, while you wait, you have my grace. I say, God says yes to grace all the time. And while you're waiting for the unfolding of your little story, you have the promise of my larger story, he says, that I've sent my son to heal your deepest wounds and to give rest to your deepest weariness and to give you now that for which your soul waits more than anything else, me, God says. My grace is sufficient for you. So that's prayer. What about parenting? This one's a little kind of odd, but I couldn't help but think of this. I may not be raising, you may not be raising the next John the Baptist or the next Billy Graham or the next world leader or the next missionary that reaches a new people group. But you know what? You may be raising his or her great, 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 great grandmother. And I thought of that because of the faithfulness of 10 plus generations of Aaron's family through the 400 years of silence is evidenced in the godliness of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be who they are apart from the grace of God at work through their family. And then... Remember what Jesus said about John the baptizer? Jesus said this about him. He said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So he's great. And you could be raising his great, 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 great grandmother. Or a great person's grandmother. And then Jesus says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. It could be that you're raising that one, the one who's least in the kingdom, but greater than John the baptizer. And so what that says to me about our parenting is persevere, press on, pray, have perspective, Faithfully disciple the next generation as we wait for Jesus to come back. And the last observation is pruning. Pruning. Jesus is always pruning my faith. He's always trimming me back. He's always cutting off dead branches of unbelief so that he can bear more fruit in my life. And in Luke 1, we get a glimpse into Nine months of pruning God did in Zechariah's life. Look back at verses 18 to 20. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? <laughs> I'm sorry. But if Gabriel, you would think that if Gabriel showed up and stood before you and told you something, you'd say, Yes, sir. I mean, if David Schmidt came and told me something, he's a Marine. I said, yes, sir. This is Gabriel. And Zechariah 
says, how shall I know this? I'm a lot like him. For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Can't you see this page in my story, man? And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, as I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this gospel, this good news. Same word. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Friends, even the godliest among us get overwhelmed with the twists and turns in our stories and believe that what we see is bigger and stronger than what God says. Don't we? Is that where you are this morning? I find myself there all too often, focused on my woundedness and waiting and weariness and forgetting the wonder of what God is doing. What was the last thing Zechariah said before he lost his ability to speak? I think this is significant. The last thing he said was, how shall I know this? How can I be sure of this? His last words were words of unbelief. For nine months, those were the last words he spoke. And then what was the last thing Zechariah heard before he lost his hearing? Actually, you know, he lost his hearing. We know this because in verse 62, when at the circumcision of John, uh, they had to make signs to uh, Zechariah inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And uh, clearly he didn't hear Elizabeth say his name should be John. Because he could have just said, pointed to her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, He had lost his hearing as well. So what were the last words that he heard that I think probably rung in his head and heart for nine months from Gabriel? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. In other words, he heard God say through Gabriel, You don't believe my words. You don't trust what I've told you. Have you forgotten that I have a plan to fulfill my promises? My words will be fulfilled in their time, whether you believe them or not, my son. You don't trust me. What that tells me is that my biggest problem is unbelief. So in order to wait with hope for Jesus to come, I have to remember with faith what God has promised. I I have to preach the gospel, the first advent to myself daily and then face forward with hope, looking for his imminent return while living to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven right now. Zechariah's name means God has remembered again. God has remembered again. God has not forgotten his promise to set apart a people for himself through Jesus. 
Jesus has come to you. He's calling you to live in his story with him. God has remembered again his promise, so you and I must remember again and again and again. We must believe his words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And I remind you again that John's name means graced by God. It's God's reminder that he had remembered his word to give grace to his people. And that now is the time for those words to be fulfilled. With the birth of John, God has remembered again. Well, thank you for listening. I want to close with a story about another one who was named after the grace of God. Five years ago, last month, we had a new members class. We call it Discovery Mountain Fellowship. We had a new members class, and uh, Joe and Jada Smith were in that class, um, and so was uh, Susan Bigelow. It was just the three of them and me. Um, and we had a Friday night time and a Saturday morning time. Um, and at that time, Joe and Jada were expecting their third daughter, who was due to be, do- uh, due to be born on March 25th, 2019, which was going to be one day after the one-year anniversary of the sudden death of Joe's brother, um, who died on March 24th, 2018. And so that was pretty significant to them, um, and they were wondering what it all meant. Well, on the Saturday morning of our Discover Mountain Fellowship time, Jada told the rest of us, this story. She said that she'd been anxious for weeks about what to name this baby. She and Joe would text back and forth ideas to each other. And she said that two nights before this, she woke up anxious about it and she prayed that God would let her know, you know, what is the name of this baby that you want to give me? And she sensed that he was saying, just wait. Wait for the right time. And so... At our little seminar on Friday night, um, we talked a lot about God's grace. It was God's grace this, God's grace this. It was the topic of conversation. And so Jada said that during that time, she sensed in her heart, yes, grace is her name. But she was afraid to tell Joe because she wasn't sure how he, you know, would he accept this, would he like this name? And so... Friday night, she said to Joe, I think I'd know her name. And Joe said, is this it? And he opened his hand, and written on the palm of his hand was the word grace. And to me, that's a beautiful picture of how our little stories are connected and caught up in his larger story. And you may say, well, hey, Jimmy, listen, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story has a happy ending. They, they finally got the baby they've been praying for. Joe and Jada's story has a happy ending. They got baby Grace. Um, God doesn't do that for everyone, Pastor. 
And I, you're right. He doesn't always do it that way for everyone. And I can't tell you why. Sometimes he's done those things for me and sometimes he hasn't. There are still wounds and waiting and weariness that he's not taking, taken away from me. He is not taken away from you. But his larger story is still true. And it's still for you. Friends, if you could open your father's hand to see what he has for you, you would always find grace. Because Jesus has come, you can know that his grace will be sufficient while you wait for him to come again. Isaiah 49 says, The Lord has forsaken me, Zion says. My Lord has forgotten me. And then it goes on, the Lord answers, I have not forgotten you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Jesus said to Thomas after his resurrection, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you seen because, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Friends, when you are worn out from your wounds and your waiting, look at the wounds of Jesus because your name and his grace are written in the palms of his hands. Father, thank you for this, for this good news. Thank you. We ask that by your spirit you would give us certainty, that you would give us a, a more solid um, settledness in who you are and what you're up to, that it's always grace. It's always grace. No matter what it looks like and no matter what the twists and turns of the story are, it's always grace. And this table reminds us again, as you hold out your hands to us, Lord Jesus, and say, put your hands here. Here's visible, tangible evidence that I came to give you grace. So help us now to come and receive that certainty again, Lord Jesus. Amen.